This is Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, in service to our restorative justice ministry. For me personally, that means spending time in our prisons in Gatesville and in Marlin, giving sacraments, celebrating sacraments, and and accompanying our incarcerated souls so that we might help them prepare for effective reentry into society where they never have to sin in the way of crime again. Today, we're going to talk about their reentry and the role of family and friends. And I'm joined by Renee Brown, who is our Director of Counseling for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. And we have been working our way through six sessions in this topic. And this is our sixth and final session, which is on the very important topic of family and friends. And Renee, as we were chatting previously, one of the things that certainly comes to mind is that for a great many souls who are incarcerated, the fact that they have committed a crime or a number of crimes can really put a strain on their family relationships. And that the reality of of the data out there is that folks who have good, consistent contact with their family members throughout incarceration tend to have an easier and more effective time when they re-enter. Well, not everybody who's hearing us today are going to have that. There's going to be any numbers who, who their family has really kind of grown cold, cut them off completely, and then there'll be some that maybe it's lukewarm, but they have a longing for it to be more, and they're frustrated about why it's, it's not more. So let's just kind of get into it right off the top. What are some of the ways that families and friends can help an incarcerated person when they're reentering after, after a time of incarceration? So I found a lot of information um, in regard to this particular subject on prisonfellowship.org. So anybody out there listening can go to that website and get a lot of really great information. Um, So one of the things that they talked about is family and friends can help by understanding the guidelines for like probation and parole of their loved one. You know, so often people, and I know this just from uh, one of my kiddos being on probation before, like, I think you're excited that you're going to be out and you don't necessarily read everything through or you don't pay attention to that fine print. And you want to make sure that you understand everything that is outlined in your probation or parole. And having another set of eyes who sees that document, who understands that document, is going to be so helpful. Um, I know when um, my son was on probation once, it was my dad who really helped him with that. My dad would, you know, get him to like his drug classes or his anger management classes. But dad actually had his own copy of of the probation guidelines and they went through together and highlighted, you know, important things so that that they wouldn't forget stuff. So. That is one of the most crucial pieces is having that person that can help you with that. And even, you know, like um, Drew's been incarcerated and he'll help people, you know, inside because some people just don't have the capacity to understand all these things or where do I go? And so having that person that can help you with that is is critical. Um, You want somebody on the outside that can help you save money. This can look different for different people. So, for example... Um, with my daughter, she was like, mom, don't put as much money on my books, put half of it in a, in a savings account for me. Because she knew when she got out, she was going to need some money, you know, to get up and get going. And for her, um, because she loves to work, she wanted to make sure that she was going to be able to have some funds 
uh, for transportation. And so, you know, you're going to need maybe transportation, you're going to need new clothes, or you're going to need housing. And so if you can have somebody out there putting up some money to kind of help you get started, that can be great. Or maybe you have a person out there that can bless you with a loan. You know, maybe you know somebody that can get you started with, you know, a couple of hundred dollars or a thousand bucks. And, you know, you make an agreement to to get them paid back at some point, but saving money because it's challenging to get back up on your feet again. And then planning for relationships. Right now, let's say you're getting out in six months or a year. I would start this plan now. Start these plans, understanding the guidelines for probation. Start saving your money. And part of this is your responsibility too. So if you do have that loved one out there that's putting money on your books for you, ask them to put this money in a savings account for you or something like that. You know, forego the Fritos and and that way you have some funds. And planning for relationships. So right now, you know, like, hey, I'm getting out. That means when my loved ones come for visits or I'm on the phone with them, I, I want to start planning for this relationship. What does this look like when I get out? What are some things that we need to work on? Uh, talking to your children, uh, what makes them nervous about you coming back home? What are they excited about? What do they want this relation to, relationship to look like in going forward? So it's planning for relationships, too. And that can be with your parents, with your friends, with your children, with your partner. Um, there needs to be a plan for what that's going to look like. What do you need to be different? So let's say you're planning on no drugs or alcohol, but maybe your wife at home or your husband at home has beer in the fridge. Maybe there needs to be a plan that there won't be beer in the fridge when you get home because it's tempting or something like that. So it's planning for relationships. Um, another piece, too, is knowing the, the nonprofits and resources that are available to you in your community. You want that loved one on the outside right now working on that for you. You want that list created today, tomorrow, before you get out. You need to know what resources are available because each community offers um, different types of help. So you might be looking for financial help, help with food, shelter, family therapy, education, employment, uh, training opportunities. So if you have a loved one on the outside, if they could start work, working on that for you now, then when you come out, you've already got your list of places to go. You know, you don't have to sit there and research yourself because you've already got your list. And then support groups, you know, churches. Um, I know like in Georgetown, apparently all the churches work together to provide different um, social services. And they actually have uh, one of the churches focuses heavily, uh, heavily for people who are um, ex-incarcerated um, persons. So a lot of churches will be able to help out as well. So you want to get involved with that. Plus, it's a great place to establish trusting friendships and have stability in your life. Um, if you feel like you need a support group via AA or NA, and then um, also talk to your partner. If you're a married person, talk to your partner now. Perhaps y'all want to do marriage counseling when you come out, or maybe you want to do some family therapy when you come out. So, you know, trying to find a counselor or a place that maybe offers sliding scale, low-cost counseling can be helpful. And then, as I mentioned before, talking to your children. 
you want to know their concerns about you coming home. Um, well, and so I can hear some people going, well, they're my kids. They can get over it or whatever. You have to remember, especially, you know, if you were using drugs and you had some mood swings and out of control behavior, your children may be afraid of you. And you need to know that, you know, you need to know what their feelings are about you um, coming back home. I would add to that, too, in addition to all those really good uh, resources and, and directions, thoughtfulness about how the other people on the outside are going to receive you. If you're the person on the outside being thoughtful about the incarcerated person and when you receive them, but retreats, um, maybe, you know, get uh, try and get somebody at home uh, to get you a parish bulletin uh, of the parish that's in your town or parishes. Mm-hmm. See if any of them are having just a weekend retreat. Look at if whatever, because all our incarcerated souls in Gatesville and Marlin, they're from all over the state of Texas. Every diocese is represented. Look at the diocesan retreat center where you come from and see if there's any retreats that are coming up that you give yourself the benefit of dedicated time with God that somebody else is directing where you're not doing that work. Because listen to everything we're saying. You're going to need to do this and you're going to need mm-hmm. to do that. And then they've got the whole thing that they have to satisfy parole and and uh, restitution and, and, and all the these different things, it can. I, I'm sure it can feel like an awful lot mounting on top of the person as they get ready for parole or to, to time out on their sentence, whatever it might be. But giving oneself time for a gift of God, even as important as getting a job is, as, as stepping into your family to be father or mother again, helping an elderly parent, all of those things, really important to give yourself that time to kind of process what has just happened to me in my life. Let God speak to you about that and then continue on the journey of post-incarceration. With families in particular, I think a lot of times our offenders uh, have a sense that they've asked so much of their families already, especially the ones that have engaged families. And there's a gratefulness that has developed in them. But there's also a kind of sense of embarrassment and shame that they've cost their family this much. My children haven't had me around. My mother's had to take care of my children all or my father, you know, as well. All of those kinds of things. Um, as they come out, I know there, there might be a hesitancy uh, to ask for even more, all of these things that, sure. that we're talking about. But one thing I would want to say is don't sell yourself short as the incarcerated person because you are going to be a blessing in their life if you will. Let yourself be convinced that your exit from prison is going to plant a blessing in their life, not just one more burden for them to share. Yeah, you're going to bring your stuff with you that we've been talking about, but don't count yourself out as an instrument of God's grace and a movement of the Holy Spirit into the life of your family that in ways that we don't even know about, once you are there and present to them, God now has that instrument ready to go, just be open to it and allow yourself with all your needs, which are legitimate and good, to still see yourself as a contributor to the health and the welfare of your family. You might even want to think about doing a roster of what would their needs be that I might be able to supply, that I'm not just going in there to suck the life out of them with all of my needs, but I'm going to breathe some life into Mm -hmm. this family of mine now that I get to be home. 
I don't know if that makes any sense from the clinical side, you know, just kind of the the, the wholeness reality. Um, but the fact is they're going to have a lot of needs. But on the other hand, hopefully we'll all allow ourselves that grace to know that God can work through us and be a contributor to the welfare of our family once again. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I think about uh, Tierney being incarcerated, my grandson, his other grandmother and I and his dad, we're all raising him. But for most children, they want their mother, right? And when he was much younger, he thought that I was his mom. He thought his other grandmother was his mother for a while. And we were completely honest that Tierney was his mother. And every other weekend, those visitations. And so, you know, she and I talked about like this you are going to be a blessing to him when you come home because he's always wanted his mother. You know, he's wanted to have a mom in his life. And you're a blessing to your family. Um, She was very close to my father, who was very sick at the end of his life. And so him having her home was a huge blessing for him. Tierney has this great, unique laugh, you know, that we all love. And she can bring such joy to people. And so maybe that's part of what, you know, um, folks that are incarcerated can focus on as well is, How are you going to be a blessing to your family? And it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be in certain ways until you can get those things going. How can I be a blessing to my family? Uh, Maybe I'm mowing the yard so my dad doesn't have to do that anymore. Maybe I'm bringing joy to somebody who is at the end of their life. You know, maybe it's now I can play and be with my children and be the parent, you know, that I've always wanted to be. And so that can be such a positive focus and it'll help with all the negative things that you're experiencing too is knowing that when I go back to my family there is an opportunity to be a blessing to them and to others as well one of the things that I didn't mention in one of our other sessions is something that helped Tierney out was a lot was serving others so as I just mentioned my dad at the end of his life he had a COPD. So, you know, breathing was tremendously hard for him. So she took on mowing his yard, you know, and he had a quarter acre, you know, with a push mower. Dad was not going to invest in a ride on lawnmower. And so that was a way not just was she, you know, she was serving my dad and giving back to him and helping him. And that was a blessing. He didn't have to pay somebody else to do it. He trusted her and it was a way for her to give back. And the relationship that she's established with my grandson and her cousins who missed her tremendously, you do have so much to offer. And sometimes she still will ask, like, I'm still not sure, like, where God's guiding me, but she just keeps going along, listening to, you know, when she's praying, listening, and really trying to acknowledge and move forward and move forward in a positive way. One of the things that we see that is such a blessing in the life of our ministry among the incarcerated are the genuine changes that happen for people of leaving old bad patterns of behavior behind having new self-awarenesses, restoring their sense of worth, uh, allowing themselves the gift of forgiveness when they have appropriately repented for their crimes, all of the above. And so they really kind of get the fire in the belly, as we call it, when they're ready to release, to get out there and start proclaiming the good news. I'll tell my story. I'll do all these things. Mm -hmm. 
And then at times when they try and do that, they find rejection. They have made a genuine change in their lives. They're they're anxious to share that with other people because they want to be able to say, yes, this is really me now. I'm, I'm not that person that committed that crime anymore. And they get it thrown back in their face. Are there strategies to help people be able to kind of stay on point? I know spiritual ones, but from the clinical side, uh, how do you deal with that kind of defeat when somebody says, I don't believe you? Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks, but no thanks. I'll find somebody to to give that good news to me that hasn't been incarcerated. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is addressing and, and knowing that you are making yourself vulnerable to people who may not allow you to escape what you've done. They're going to want to throw it in your face. A society doesn't want people to forget their wrongs, that is for sure. And so I think, you know, some of the things that you could do is it's it's really about staying true to your course, you know, which can be so hard when you have the tape running in your head, you have negative voices from society, all of that you're being inundated with. It's reminding yourself who you are in, in with God. One of the things that I had written down um, that Tierney had shared with me, and I, I didn't share it in any of our last sessions, but in developing her spiritual life, one of the things that is one of her reminders that literally I have in quotations is, um, God is my rock and salvation. I put my faith in him and not in mankind. Because mankind will let you down, and it's just the nature of the flesh. And so it's. It, I love the way she said it because it wasn't like she was necessarily downing mankind. It's just the nature of the flesh. It's the nature of some people to be negative, to be non-forgiving, um, to, to not believe because you've been an incarcerated person that you could actually succeed and turn your life around. And so her faith is in God. Her faith is not in mankind. And that is a practice. That is something that's taken her a few years to kind of learn and believe uh, to her core. When Tierney first left prison, she didn't tell people she'd been imprisoned. Like she didn't want people to know it wasn't on her Facebook. She it's been in the last probably year and a half. Now for a job, of course, she would tell people she had to, but becoming uh, forthcoming with that information with others has primarily been in the last year and a half because there's no shame for her anymore. This was one small piece of her life. One, it does that does not define her. It doesn't define who she is. It doesn't define her in Christ. This was one small part of her life. She has a whole new life in Christ and a whole life ahead of her. And so, like um, sharing these radio segments, I mean, she knew, and she was all about it. We've done a couple of articles for um, Catholic Charities USA, and so she's very excited to be able to share her story now with people. And that would get to a point I would want to put out there for folks when they face the pushback, mm-hmm. uh, resistance to believing that they actually have turned a corner in their lives, et cetera. Um, we, we're, it's a natural instinct to feel upset about that, to, to feel rejected and go through all of those negative feelings that are associated with that. But for the person of Christ who is saying, look, I'm doing this now for, for God so that I can 
actions speak louder than words, and I'm trying to show God, myself, and everybody else that I really have turned the corner, I'm now going to make you, the person that doesn't believe me, a project. I'm going to win you over. And I don't care how long it takes or how often I have to, to enter into your life or how infrequently I have to enter into your life. I'll give you your space if you're saying, I don't want a, a, a felon in my life. Okay, fine. But as the Lord brings us together, my next opportunity with you is not going to be, oh, there's so-and-so that rejected me last time. It's going to be, okay, here's my next opportunity to win this person sure. over. And and that really is there to, to do. And I think you do have to give people time. People, their trust has to be developed. There has mm-hmm. to be a consistency. Uh, I know one time I asked our Bishop Joe Vasquez, what's, what's good advice to give people about returning to their parish? And one of the first things he said to me years ago was, tell them, especially if they're on fire, you know, let's say they've rediscovered scripture, they've done Bible studies in prison, they really want to get after it, I want to go and teach and do this and that and the other. And his recommendation was, that's great to have. But why don't you just let yourself go to the parish that you select and be in the pew for an entire year? Do a whole year of the liturgical calendar, letting people getting to know you as you are in the pew at coffee and donuts. Don't don't necessarily step forward for a out front position. Let them get to know you in that setting as opposed to you plus and you're an ex convicted person you're, or you're a felon. Allow them that that um, first impression as a fellow parishioner as opposed to someone who is out witnessing and testifying. And then once you get that base, once you share uh, that time with them, then you can start to discern, asking God, where can I put my foot forward? Uh, what ministry in the life of this parish would be good where my testimony might uh, come through? What do the people of this parish need to hear from you through me, as opposed to what the the things that we come out of prison and we say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And all of that's good. That motivation is good. But that can also leave out discernment, spiritual Mm -hmm. discernment about what God is really asking of you. It might be more about your need to witness than it is about where God needs you to be. And I think Bishop Joe's advice about just set back um, allow yourself the gift of a liturgical cycle with the people that you get to know in a given mass or in, in various occasions in the way the Spirit moves in the life of your parish, then you're going to know. It's very similar to the advice he gives to, to we priests as new pastors. Don't go in in your new assignment and start changing things. You know, wait a year, uh, marry their, their young, bury their dead, accompany the sick, and then you'll have a sense of what are the things that you, with the talents God has given you as a priest, be able to start guiding them uh, as their as their new shepherd. I think it works on the other side of the altar as mm-hmm. well uh, for for us too. Um, back to you know in terms of the people that are going to receive them, a, a huge one for our folks, the women and the men, are children. They're children. Now, you know, depending on how much contact they've had with their kids, if their kids weren't part of their crime or any of that kind of stuff, so that you know they have access to their family. CPS hasn't taken them. Any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, there's going to be times where the kids act one way in terms of positive reception of, I'm so glad you're home, but then other stuff bubbles up that the kid doesn't even understand. And it's definitely a negative for the parent. Maybe talk to us a little about what some of those are and how to respond to them. Sure. I can remember, uh, 
Tierney was in the car and got really upset in traffic. And apparently, you know, she's yelling at other cars. She's upset. And uh, my grandson took it personal, right? And so one of the things that they had to talk through was this wasn't a personal attack on him. She was just upset with traffic. And then he explained, well, maybe there's something else you can do because it was very scary, right? And so part of this is for the person that's incarcerated, and this is really hard, but trying not to take things so personally from children, especially when children express things. That's when we talk about validate their feeling, you know, validate what they're saying and try to get them to open up to you. And try not to take it so personally and just look at what they're saying is that opportunity to learn because Corley hadn't been with her for a while. You know, when she was upset like that, he felt like it was directed at him, even though it had nothing to do with him. He's just sitting in the back seat. But because he hadn't been around her, he didn't understand like, oh, mom just gets upset in traffic. And so they had to have this whole conversation about it. I think it's about. Once again, it's about listening to children when they talk to you, um, asking them to – one of the worst things that we do with kids is ask them why. Sometimes kids don't know why they do stuff. They don't know why they think stuff. It's more of a what question. You know, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? Um how does this affect you? You know, what do you think about that? Um, asking them the questions so that you can get into what they're feeling and thinking. What what scares you about mom coming home for prison? You know, what are you excited about? But what's scary? You know, if it's an older child, you know, well, what do you remember about my behaviors before I went to prison? What would you like to see differently for me? I think those are great questions because a lot of kids are going to say, I wish you would hug me more. I wish you would tell me you love me more. They're going to tell you exactly what they need if they feel safe doing that. And that's going to be your responsibility as a parent, too, is in not taking it personally. The whole idea is that you're gaining knowledge. That's the whole objective. You're gaining knowledge. You want to know what they need from you. What do they think about you? What do they feel about you? So that you can create this relationship and you're being respectful. Uh, there, there's a feeling, uh, there's a thought process sometimes, I think, with people that they don't feel like they need to respect children. And I don't understand that because every person, every human should have respect. And you can't change a relationship if you don't know what they need and what their their beliefs are about this relationship. Because if it was a very young child when you were sent away, they may believe that everything somehow was their fault. So just a lot of clarifications, a lot of communication, finding out what they need, what's scary for them, what's exciting for them, and what are some things that you can do differently. I mean, that's manageable. If they say something like, well, I want ice cream at dinner every night, come on, really? I mean, you know, or I don't want you to ever yell at me. That's probably not going to be manageable, right? right? Because we're human. So it's, it's a little more serious than those things. Getting to know you um, now that you're out of prison, that sounds like a key there, mm-hmm. both sides. Both sides. The child getting to know – now, same with, with husband and wife? Oh, absolutely. You know, just because um, your wife or your partner, husband may have been visiting you, there's still been distance there. So there, people grow, people change. And so some of those same conversations, um, one of the 
questions that you can ask is, how do you need me to love you? What? How do I need to love you differently? You know, uh, what would make our relationship better from both sides? I love the Love Languages book. If they have it uh, in prison, it can be a, an awesome read. Um, it's a quiz. There's several questions. We find out our love languages, our loved one. It, they, you can even do it with kids. How do I want to be loved? Some people like to spend a lot of time together. Some people like affection. Some people want you to buy them things. If we know how to love people and we know how we like to be loved, that can help a lot in relationships. And, of course, as a therapist, counselor, I'm going to encourage people that um, to get counseling whether it's family counseling or marriage counseling or both. Um, and at Catholic Charities of Central Texas, you know we serve everybody. You do not have to be Catholic. Um, and we serve children, six through people that are 84. We do family counseling, individual counseling, and we provide sliding scale and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Well, Renee, we thank you so much for all of the gifts that you have given us. We look forward to the impact of these sessions and uh, perhaps for some of our offenders to follow up with you or the Catholic charities that's available to them in their own home diocese, if it's not the Diocese of Austin. As we've been speaking about family and children, we call upon the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph to help all our incarcerated, their families, the victims of their crimes, to find that wholeness that is represented by the relationship between Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and of that oneness that comes from us as we are loved by the God who is love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.